Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we're joined by professional chef and fellow free thinker, the young animal himself, Adisa Glasgow. In part one of this two-part conversation, we focus on early motivations for becoming a cook, lessons learned along the way, and the formation of the young animal as we know him today. Enjoy the show. Well, um, cheers, my friend. Cheers, my Chris, Mr. Maxson. Cheers, Mr. Glasgow. Mm. Awesome, awesome stuff. I'm gonna. Right we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna do the intro and shit like that afterwards. I'm not going to waste the time doing that here. We'll 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 cut you a nice little promo at the beginning. Um, okay. I, I I first want to take the opportunity to thank you. Thanks for for taking the time to sit down with me. We're going to, we're going to have some conversations. We're going to have some fun. Uh, we're going to talk about some serious stuff. We're going to talk about some shit that you're, you're doing right now. And uh, I have to say that since we actually booked the day to do this, I've been super excited to sit down and pick your brain on a few matters. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Cause this is going to be great. And you know, I was so excited about it that I thought it was two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> I was so excited. I'm sitting in here and I'm like, all right, I'm messaging you. And you're like, yeah, buddy, that's, uh, that's November 2nd. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I wasn't going to bring it up, but there, there was also two other things uh, that now that you brought up the, uh, the fact that you were, you jumped the gun a little bit, which was awesome. Um, you also promised me two other things. I don't know if you remember those, those two promises uh, for this recording. Do you remember what those were? Uh, no, but I will own up to it because I said it. Yeah, absolutely. You said it. One was that you were going to be doing this nude. Now, for, for most people, they're not going to see the video of this, right? So this is right. going to be audio, but the, the video will live on in infamy. Uh, however, I will okay. say for the, uh, for the listening audience, you are at least partially clothed. I am. You can't see what's below here. Um, <laughs> no. you're, you're only seeing chest down, but I got to tell you, I'm using my opposable dick to... to to bring my glass up to my mouth. <laughs> I did. That was fucking weird because I saw your glass come into the frame, but your arm did not move. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. Oh, Black dick do matter. <laughs> okay. As I said to you off uh, <laughs> before we started, I wasn't going to make any assumptions here, but you are a, a person of uh, girth. Well, I think that's what they called it. That's that's right after yeah. right after we got off the boat. I think that's he's a he's a man of girth. He get, he can pull that wagon over there by himself. <laughs> man, that guy's <laughs> arm is fucking ripped. That's not his arm. I, you know what I'm saying? I gotta tell you that that's some of the funniest things for me. Like, uh, uh, you know, I'll get into that later uh, because I just had a whole ramble there. But I'll, I'll, we, like I said, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. Later. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Keep keep that. No, I mean, we're not good ones. <laughs> When I say we're going to talk about it later, I'm not talking about the the, the ranging dick sizes of the African-American culture. I was talking about like a totally separate thing. We'll get into it later. Yes. I'm glad that you Cut clarified all that. that. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> so that way people are all on the same page about this and, and where we're heading yes. in these different yes. directions. Now, so, I'm going to tell you, dick jokes kill me. Uh, but oh, dick jokes. Um, I mean, they're, they, they've been around since the beginning of time. Right. Yeah, they they so. really have been. And and uh and and for 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 white guys like my myself, like lily white guys like myself, 
Um, dick jokes aren't no joke, man. Like we, we, we've been like, listen, growing up and, and seeing depictions of, of penis sizes in, uh, in porn, uh, magazines, hearing about gigantic penises from, from other uh, skin colors, other races, other peoples, um, feel like you're really shorthanded, uh, as a, as a white person. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I'll trade I'll trade the pipe for a really equal and fair job interview. I fucking love that. That's, <laughs> that yeah. is it. I, I love it. I would. I really would. I absolutely love it. I love it. And I I don't want to suppress that conversation because we're having we're gonna have that conversation. We're gonna we get are on, gonna have that conversation. We are definitely gonna get into some some stuff. I, I on a serious note, I want to pick your brain on a lot of a lot of shit. Um, but mm-hmm. I want to first put you out in the front um, and just kind of give. Uh, I want to know about you a little bit. Uh, we've known each other now for a number of years, and uh, it, it, I eight, eight, eight nine nine years, eight, eight or nine years. years. Jeez, time flies, man. Well, since at least since thirty thirty first opened. Right, right. And they're okay. eight years old. And so, and you came into the fray as uh, as as the chef of of that restaurant. Yeah. Um, you know, the your your praises have been sung in our circle of friends and beyond. Um, so much so that uh, uh, now my my current girlfriend, her sister, had been going to that restaurant for quite some time. Unbeknownst to them, obviously, we meet and they know of the restaurant. And I said, well, if you if you thought you knew the restaurant before then you've got to right. go now because this is the restaurant with Adisa at the helm. Oh my God. So no, no, um, no pressure and no pressure felt. I know, you know, your, your craft, but you see, so you've been, you've been a chef now um, for how many years? Like how long have you been doing this thing called being a chef? Uh, you know, you know, what's so funny about that, Chris, is that till this day, I still say I'm a cook. You know, because I, I look at it from the perspective that I'm always going to be learning. I feel like, you know, I don't want to say chef because that would assume that I know everything. And I really don't. Right. I'm learning every day. Like this is like the food that I'm making now is like I'm focusing on Trinidadian food. Right. And I'm also finding out that you know, like, holy shit, I didn't even there's so much about Trinidadian food that I didn't even know. Even though I was born in Trinidad, I'm learning more now about Trinidadian food than I did going in, going into it. So. I've been cooking now, I would like to say, for, uh, I'm getting old, Chris, 18 years. 18 <laughs> I've been cooking, years. I'm cooking for 18 years or so. Um, wow, that whip pass. Um, I think a little earlier than 18 years, because I'll be 38 this year. In a, okay. In a, in, a couple mo- in a couple months, I'll be 38 in December. Um, so I guess in a month. Um, and then... I started cooking when I was, I remember when I was 18 when I went to the kitchen because I remember the, the, the owner of the restaurant asked me to run to buy something from the liquor store and I was too young, so I couldn't. So I, I was 18 or 17 when I first started um, washing dishes and then doing uh, garmage. And then I worked my way up through the, through the ranks. You know, it takes a lot before they let you like portion steaks, right? Yeah. You got a, yeah. you got a twelve ounce, or you got an eight ounce, or you got a fourteen ounce, or you got a six ounce. That's the kind of shit your chef will cut your arm off for. Right? <laughs> so it, it took some time for me to, to 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 get through the ranks. But yeah, it's been about been about eighteen years I've been uh, I've been cooking. That's uh, that's amazing. And and so like now, 
I know that different people get driven by different things. I, I've been really focused on motivation these days. Uh, it's 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 a big topic. And how is that? How's that tasting? That that was that that look there for that that Russian cognac uh, that looked like it was an eye opener. The only thing that upsets me is that I don't speak Russian. That's <laughs> that's what's happening right now. I have no idea what I just drank. <laughs> hey, you but, know what? After a couple of more glasses of that, you'll be speaking Russian, all right? It won't make any sense, <laughs> but you'll you'll be speaking Russian. I'll just get the girlfriend to translate. She'll do a good That's job. Right. There you go. There you go. So yeah. So like, I mean, so what, what possessed you to even want to start cooking? Like, is this, is this a family thing? Is this just you being like, I, I want to cook. It, it speaks to me. Like what, what, what even wanted to, wanted you to get going on this? The main reason I got into cooking was pure necessity. I had no other option. I was in a, I was in a group home when I was in Vancouver. I was staying with these people. The program was called Ianthus. It was a private, uh, it was a private um, company. So the group home and everything like that, where we stayed at, was all private. It wasn't government funded. And you know, I, I got into college and everything like that. I was still living with them, and then they felt that I didn't care about school anymore, so they kicked me out. Right, put me on my ass. Right. So I was only about a year into my college program, and then they kicked me out. They dropped me off at a Ben and breakfast on, I think it was just off Oak Street in Vancouver. They gave me $450 cash, a $500 check, paid for the Airbnb for a month. And then actually it wasn't an Airbnb, it was a bed and breakfast. It was like an apartment building. Uh, they paid for it for a month and they told me, figure it out, you know, like just figure it out, you know, get out there. Here's the world. I remember the drive because they, they kicked me out of the house when all the kids were at school. Because I was going to college at the time and some of the kids in the house were still in high school. So they kicked me out midday when so none of the kids would see me leave, right? Pretty diabolical the way they did it. But they drove me past a, uh, I remember driving past like this, like, you know, students hire, like 666 hire. They drove past and they go, you can get a job over there. And, uh, wow. and uh, they dropped me off at the bed and breakfast. And I think they got me like six coupons for a continental breakfast. Which I think I sold for weed or something like that. I'm not sure. I can't remember these things. Um, so, weed, so weed was around the same time as cooking? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Uh, so just as that happened, um, you know, I couldn't obviously afford to go to school and, and start to figure out what my life was going to be like. But my cousin, Corey, was working at a restaurant up the street. And he suggested that, you know, like if you needed something, they need a dishwasher. So if you want to come wash dishes and make, you know, whatever minimum wage was at the time, was at the time. So I went in there and I started washing dishes. And, you know, some of these things that I'm going to say next is going to sound very kind of like almost fake. But um, after washing dishes for about like, you know, four or five months or something like that, somebody handed me uh, Kitchen Confidential, right? Uh, a book by Anthony Bourdain. And I read it and right after I read it, I was like, I too want to bang brides on oil drums on the back of a restaurant, right? Because they thought that the chef was the coolest guy ever, right? So I was like, I was like yeah, I, I want to work my way up. I, I want to become a chef, I want that guy's job. And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I am. Um, so your uh, early motivation, <laughs> just, just, to, oh. just to bookmark that. Your early oh, yeah. motivation was tail. 
it, oh. it, it was it was to be the man so that way you could be sought after and you can you could have the things that you wanted that 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 most listen most boys at that age want of course that's so that was your first motivating factor my first motivating factor was to become one of the the badasses that this guy described in the book right we're talking like some of these people are not famous right they're just people he mentioned in his book but as i read it i was like man these guys sound cool as shit like you know like just the stuff with the butchery and the smoking and the cocaine and the weed and the and the respect like some some of these guys look like serial killers but they could make the most delicious meal ever so they garnered amazing respect and what i loved about that is that here was this group of people um that were just ragamuffins that when they entered a room, everybody was like, yo, that's the chef of so-and-so. That's the chef of so-and-so. And they got these like the love. And I, 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 I wanted all of that. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And I remember turning my, over my shoulder. Cause you know, I was always had pride in my dish pit, right? No, nobody out there had a cleaner, more organized dish washing area than this guy. I even had pictures of my girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time. I even had pictures. Nice on the wall. I made it my office, right? That's amazing. <laughs> well, you got it. I was there for, I don't know, 10 hours, you know, I gotta, I gotta make it comfortable, right? Um, and then I looked over and I saw my chef at the time, this was at the Gramercy Grill in Vancouver, um, which is still there. Um, and I, I looked over and I saw my chef, Michael Martin, segment an orange. Now, to whoever's listening to this, segmenting an orange is not a the, the most badass thing you'll ever see a chef do. But this man did it in such a way where he cut the top of the orange off, cut the bottom of it off, he put it on his side, he drove the knife down the side of it, shaving off the orange peel and the pith at the same time. And then he went in between every slice and got all the little segments of the orange right out. And he did it with such grace. I was like, yo, that guy's like a surgeon with that knife, right? And that, that being so talented, it's something that seems so like ordinary was amazing. And the promise of unlimited booty coming together was why. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it really is. It's, uh, it's, it's art and life all rolled into one. Yes. Yes. It's you want to be, you want to be the, you want to be the, you want to be the, be, the big guy on campus, right? You want your peers to look at you and and be like, you know, this guy's really good at, at, at this. You know, we always break each other for their craft. And, you know, we can, for, for a job that's a trade that we, like we're now inching up into becoming respectable human beings, right? But think of the talent and skill that we have. There's no unions for us, right? Like, I mean, like cooks are one of the, the the grinders still in the city, right? You know, like, you know, we we really have to show and prove, right? Like, I mean, in one sense where the union is amazing because it helps protect our rights. Um, on the other side of it, we're still in a very competitive industry where you got to actually be good, right? You know, we're not just going to like, the union's not going to protect you and just get you a job. Like, we actually still have to show and prove and, and get out there and be like, you know, we're here to grind. I know how to cook. You know, I can butcher that. I can butcher this. You know, your owners come up to you and ask for ridiculous demands and you have to somehow make that happen. 
or else they'll get rid of you and find somebody else. Like there's mm. literally no protection for some of us. So we really have to grind and go hard. And I do love the as uh, that aspect of my profession that I chose. When a restaurant asks you to be their chef, that means that they saw something in you particularly that they think you can you can go with. That's not to say they don't take advantage of us, mm. but they recognize your talent and skill, and they and and they they seek that right. Mm -hmm. So you know, yeah, it is a very interesting industry. Like you know, like the tr the whole trades thing, right? The fact that we are a trade, but we don't get treated like other trades. You've dealt with different business owners, multiple different business owners, and uh, the business of restaurant is is very interesting, as I've learned over the past you know eight nine years, uh, just from different sources, of course. But do you find that most restaurant owners actually respect the chef or the cook as a whole? Obviously, you're going to get certain people that understand your value as a tradesperson and what you bring the cornerstone of those restaurants. But do you think that the owners themselves understand that or do they view you guys as a dime a dozen? You know what? That's that's a pretty cool question, man. If the restaurant owner is from the industry, you get that kind of uh, mutual respect with the owner and the, and the chef and the kitchen as it goes. Um, obviously, sometimes that varies, like say the restaurant owners from the front of house. Obviously, you know, he's given the front of house a little bit more love, but still definitely respects the back of the house. But the restaurant owners that don't really have a background in, in the restaurant business that just, you know, came across X amount of money or whatever, or the classic story of, I was working on Bay Street and I said, hey, I want to open up a restaurant. So I uh, cashed in all my funds and I, and I dropped three and a half hundred thousand dollars on space. <laughs> And I have my grandmother's tomato sauce recipe. It's oh. going to make millions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking, right? Because uh, like, you know, I dabble in, in a little real estate here and there. And, and these are industries mm -hmm. that seem to be flooded with people who, you know, want to make an opportunity. And, and restaurant does seem to have that fair share where, you know, some people that enter into it with good intentions don't necessarily have that background. So I wonder like, well, where the hell does that leave you guys as the people who well, literally, if you, if you're not making good food, People are going to know that you guys are almost like an afterthought to the majority of the people who do this, this shit on the fly. We, we really, we really are. And you know, what helps a lot of chefs in this city is the advent of social media, self promoting platforms, right? Cause before, you know, you had to like, you know, when, you know, now I'm sounding like I am old, right? Cause I definitely started cooking before um, social media before we, like, I was around at the beginning of Facebook and stuff, but definitely no Instagram. Dude, I signed up from my Twitter account on a desktop computer, okay? <laughs> I remember, because I heard about Twitter on the radio that day, oh okay? And I said, the radio. <laughs> I set it up on my desktop. I went home and I was like, clunk, clunk, clunk. So, like, nowadays, like, the chef, um, the chef, is allowed now to build himself up and people can see what he can do. So his resume is ever evolving and it's always out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a restaurant owner message me a little while ago um, that he wanted me to come and take care of his restaurant because he was really liking the stuff that I was doing, you know, cause I was doing farmer's markets and uh, you know, festivals and stuff like that. And he was liking the food. He was liking the response I was getting on Instagram. And he remembered me from the past, and he was like, I loved your um, your no shit attitude. So he wanted to bring me into like Spurs Kitchen. I 
you know, all of that stuff. And that was only really from, um, you know, pr promoting myself um, on Instagram. But to your question and to the point, that interaction with this particular owner ended in that vibe you just explained, dime a dozen, mm -hmm. right? So because I came in there and I tried to, to do the things that he asked for me, but um, when I actually was doing it, right, and when I was being the person that I am, he, re he then realized that, well, then the whole system is broken because if he came in for me to square out the kitchen, I'm obviously going to bleed onto the floor, right, because we're all a team. And if I'm holding servers and, and front of house people accountable, now he's now got to have conversation with front of staff, front of house people going like, oh, your chef is, is doing this and that. So then he goes, you know, maybe I don't need a guy who's going to crack the whip. Maybe I need a guy who just comes in here and just like, you know, tucks his chin and takes the abuse, right? Like, mm -hmm. so then it was over. Then I'm out, you know, like, and he was, and he was able to move on that fast. There was no fight put up. I did quit, but I mean, like, there was no fight put up. I'm like, hey, so we can talk about it. He was like, no, I can just move on. I can move on. I can move on to the next guy really quick. So sometimes you're you're treated like as though you know they want you, and then you know when you outweigh your uh, outlast your usefulness, they do toss you aside. It's kind of brutal. That's crazy. You know? And I and I've, I I've experienced that you know with a with a mutual friend of both of ours. <laughs> you yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Um, yep. But but time heals all wounds. Is That's like I, I like to say. I like to say time heals all wounds. Well, and and you. You like to think that you you learn and grow from these things. We had this discussion, you know, a couple months ago 100%. when uh, when you know we were talking about how when we first met, we we were obviously that much younger, but we were that much more naive and uh, and uh, you know having different thoughts maybe about the way the world worked. And it was mm -hmm. so funny to sit down and have that conversation with you just about how far we've all come in such a short period of time. Because once you did leave with your your first. Uh, go around with uh, with our mutual friend. You then went on and you were doing all sorts of stuff. You were promoting yourself online. I was following you and I was like, geez, man, like I didn't know where the hell you were from one day to the next. So like mm. walk me through that journey a little bit. What did you do? Where the hell did you go? Like what what was what was your overall feel from that? What five, six, six year window? Five years. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what happened, it was like, um, I, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So even though I may bust our friends' balls about it, the way I thought about it years later is that I needed to be humbled, right? Like, I needed to understand that, A, I'm not the one assuming the risk, right? I'm not the one that had to put up the money for the business. I'm not the one that has to purchase thousands of dollars of poultry and, and, and beef and, and stuff like that every every month. So over the years, I had to kind of weigh my emotions with what I expect from an owner and vice versa, right? What an owner expects from me. I didn't take another head chef position for a while. I, I went and I found some of my friends who are out there in the game who are cooking completely different food. And I kind of went out and said, hey, I, I'd love to see what it is that you guys are doing, right? You can tell me what to do. My ego's not going to get in the way. Just show me what's going on. Like, you know, we're all, we're all the same age. I just want to learn something new. And I just kind of went around and I, I learned some stuff from my good friend, Mark Oda. Um, he was the head chef of uh, 416 Snack Bar. And then 
uh, my other good friend, Chris Bascunian, he was the, the other chef at uh, 416 as well. And I managed to learn so much from them. And then from there, I went on to open up my own little business called Young Animal. Um, Young Animal, by the way, is Young is my mother's last name. Animal is my dad's nickname. Oh, nice. Okay. I did wonder where that came from. little animals. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was you describing yourself. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, funny enough, that was my nickname because my dad's nickname was Animal. They called me Young Animal. Amazing. So, like, back in Trinidad because I'd be sitting on the tank of his motorcycle, no helmet, ripping down the streets in Trinidad. Super dangerous. Hey, I'm here. Um, <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. Yeah, it, worked out. <laughs> it did. But, yeah, it was me just kind of, like, getting out there and like seeing like instead of like seeing what i can actually do to make people eat my food right you know like the proof has to be in the pudding you know because there's a lot of restaurants that you probably enter in you walk inside and you go you just step through the door and you go this has to be good you know what i'm saying like yeah. you're looking at the chandelier you're like oh my god you're looking around and you're like already the impression that that is going to be good but when you're walking up to a 10 by 10 tent with a dude with a generator and a little home deep fryer and he's selling doubles, you're like, oh no, right? But then when they walk away and they go, wow, that was great. Then I could be like, awesome. I can make good food without the glitz in the garden, right? Oh, and that cool. made me, it made me feel like I'm actually putting out a good product, right? And I didn't need a fancy dining room. I didn't need um, an owner with a bunch of money behind it to prove that I can actually perform in the culinary industry. So it gave me that confidence um, to go out on my own and do my own thing. Um, mind you, it also took an argument with one of those, one of the cooks at Snack Bar for me to like call up the girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, you think it's time to start the business? Yeah, let's start the business. I go back inside. I'm like, I quit. I'm out. And, and fuck this guy. This guy can eat shit. And then, <laughs> and then I just walked out. That's how you left. Like, fuck that's you. How, oh, that's fuck exactly how I'm like, fuck you guys. You can eat shit. I don't need this shit from this guy. And uh, actually, when that guy got actually subsequently fired, um, they 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 hired me back, and I just did um, I just worked a prep shift, but I, I also kind of like we we made a deal where I could work during the day as prep, and then I could come back at night and use their kitchen to prep for my farmers market. So while I was working a full time job, I was also doing the 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 festival circuits and farmers markets and stuff like that. So, you know, going to bed at like five, getting up at 10, uh, doing, uh, you know, Ryerson farmers market, then getting ready and then working a night shift somewhere. So the grind was very real, my friend. It, it made me really appreciate what it is that I do. That's a level of motivation that I have a hard time wrapping my head around sometimes, you know, that, uh, that constant grind, you know, sleep a handful of hours, get up and do it all over again. And you did that for... I did it. I did that circuit for two and a half years mm -hmm. um, because uh, a decent portion. So for the last three years, I was, I was at another restaurant called Layla on college. And what I did with my business was I, I essentially rented out their kitchen because they were like a brewery, right? So I rented out their kitchen, but I was you know cooking for their guests in their dining room. But at the same time, I was also doing festivals. I was also doing private events and I was also doing farmer's markets and stuff like that. So, you know, when, you, when, I, when I say it out loud, I am pretty hardworking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to let you in on a little secret. Uh, this 
podcast recording is just to make you aware of your unbelievable talent and your work ethic. <laughs> That's so you're welcome. I mean, <laughs> well, you know what, Chris, I got to tell you, you don't think of it when you're in it, right? Yeah. Like when you're, when you're thinking about like, when I think about the early stages of my business, we're talking the car that we had at the time was a Honda Civic, right? You want to try and squeeze a tent, a generator, all the food you need, uh, folding tables, chairs, deep fryers, chafing dishes, all into a Honda Civic. We had to do it to the point where the generator had to sit on the passenger seat, right? And my partner at the time would have to take a cab to wherever we're going because there was no room left in the, in the Civic. And, you know, we're dragging everything out and then you have to set up, you got your banners up and everything like that. And then at the end of the day, you made $70. Yeah. Pack everything back up into the, into the Honda Civic, go to the next farmer's market, $30. You know, how many times you have to like stand there when somebody goes like, what are doubles? Why do you call them doubles? Curry chickpeas? Nah, 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 nah. I don't like Indian food. And you're like, you can't be like, like, get the fuck out of here. You got to be like, well, I'm sorry. You don't appreciate doubles. I just have to do that every day. Oh, and and it's it's so much energy that you have to put into to telling people to eat your food or at least try it, which I do understand, Chris. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I look at food, I think like if you're going to take money out of your pocket to purchase something from me, something you damn well can make yourself. I know a lot of people like to think, oh, I couldn't possibly make anything chefs make. Yeah, guess what, motherfucker? You can. You, you will not be able to do it on the first try, but trust me, you can. The ingredients are just as available for you as they are for me, right? So, so when people actually do decide to buy my food, I always feel blessed, right? You know, so, but I don't take it too bad when they don't, right? You know, so I, I always say that to people when they order my food and, and I'm like, thank you very much. And they're like, no, it's great. I'm like, no. Dude, you earned your money and whatever you decide to spend it on, something is like, dude, you, it, you just shit it out. Let's be real. It's not like buying a pair of shoes or anything like that, but you can actually do something or a coat or, or, or something that you could hold. It's like, mm, and then you shit it out. And that's so, it. Yeah. Thank you for giving me your money for, for this, for this shit, right? Because all we need is just oats, rolled oats and maybe some proteins. We need sustenance to live. It doesn't have to be a, a perfectly grilled porterhouse, right? <laughs> we just need to eat to survive. I, you're I, absolutely, uh, you're absolutely right. First of all, I do want to speak to the point of you being so gracious because you've always been gracious with that. It, it seems like right from the beginning, uh, whether you're in the same mindset or not, you were already always appreciative of the praise because we would we would dote on you. We would just shower you with compliments, and you would you were always the same. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. You left the shit part out. Um, I mean, you didn't say that in your spiel uh, that we were just <laughs> going to expel it afterwards, but you were always very gracious. <laughs> but but I yeah. think it's, it's the humbleness, though, that that definitely makes uh, you who you are, but also your food, what it is, because you're not your nose isn't up in the air. You're, you're not walking around with your chest out saying, yeah, I can do this motherfucker, but you can't because you know full well if anybody dedicates the time and effort that you have, they could. The difference mm -hmm. is, and this is where I corrected you last time we had this conversation because you're like, people act like we're we're magicians, like we're, we're surgeons and we're this and that. Maybe not, but you have made the decision to work on your craft and be the best at it yeah. that you can be. 
So for that, you definitely have to take that credit. Um, but it is an interesting thought in terms of, you know, people putting you guys up on this, uh, like, we can't, we can't touch you. You're some kind of a, of a God. I love the way that you put that you're the same ingredients are available for you as they are for me. Right. Yeah. But you just really you put the time and, and effort in. So you went, you did this circuit for two and a half years, busting your ass, mm -hmm. you know, doing, doing that. And then what happened to you at that point in time? Did you think like, this is what I want to do forever? Because we've had some conversations um, about you in the industry and, and your take on the industry is, is not necessarily one of, this is your true calling. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that, that's what I was giving you the truth about how it is that I got into cooking, right? Because a lot of people have like some crazy dope stories about like, you know, the first time they, they wanted to cook and they were like, oh, I just like the way that the... Uh, the onion and garlic popped in the pan with the olive oil and shit like that. I'm like, yeah, sure. I had to do it because I needed a job, yeah. right? You know, and sometimes I have a story about, you know, my grandmother cooking and that inspired me. Um, but, you know, I, I got some advice a very long time ago from, a, from another chef, a chef that I admire quite a bit. His name is Dennis Wong. Um, he's still in Vancouver. He owned a restaurant called The Ordinary Cafe. Um, then he was my chef at the Gramercy Grill um, after Michael Martin left. And he said something that really stuck with me, which made me, when I, when, when I cook now, think about what he says. So to the point that I think anybody can do it is why what he said to me messed with my head. Because he, he looked at me and said, Adisa, we tell people what to eat. They don't tell us what to cook, right? And when he said that to me, I then started you know, when I, when I branched off and was doing my own thing, I only started making food that I enjoy eating, right? Just me, nobody else, just me. And if you come into my restaurant and you like the food that I like making for myself, well, then that's just amazing, right? Like that, it's like, I did not have to, to bend to anyone's will to, to, to impress anybody, right? I only did what I wanted to do. And the fact that people enjoy that is that's why I call it a blessing because I don't do stuff for other people. I do it for me. I cook. It's a very narcissistic reason why I cook. Okay? A lot of people seem to think it's like, oh, just want to feed the world. No, no. I love that feeling, that ticklish feeling that I get when somebody's like, yo, this is really fucking good. I'm like, yeah, that's right, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, because I made it the way I want to eat it. right? And people enjoy that. So that makes me feel good. You know, and that's why I, I maintain the humbleness, right? That's why I go like, because if I was doing somebody else's food, it would, it would be hard for me, you know, because, because that's not my style. It's not, I'm not selling me. And, and my menu right now is all me. Like to the point, dude, where somebody comes into the restaurant and they're like, hey, chef, because you know me, I'm a talker. So I'm out in the dining room, shaking hands and kissing babies and fucking oh, yeah. wives. So. <laughs> Um, so I'm in the dining room and I'm chatting and, <laughs> and they're like, uh, uh, chef, do you, uh, what do you recommend? I'm like, I don't recommend shit. And they always get weird. They're always like, Whoa, what do you mean? You don't recommend anything. And I'm like, I'm like, and then I give them this example. I go, you ever made a playlist of music? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, do you ever put any shit songs on that playlist? And they're like, uh, I guess no. And I'm like, then why the hell would you think I would have a favorite on this menu? They all are very like individual. So I can't pick one over the other. So just fucking decide on something and eat it. 
because I also don't want to suggest something to you that you may not like. I want you to own your own fucking thing, right? I don't yeah. want you to say, I said, try this and you didn't like it. Read the goddamn description. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I definitely just cook for myself. And that has helped me along the way. The farmer's market stuff definitely gave me a little stronger backbone for dealing with a lot of these things. Because you know, when you're standing there for 10 hours, bro, and nobody comes by your booth. I mean, my, my ex, uh, who I started the business with, she was she she was also happy about the food I made. She thought I, I made the best food in the world. So she would set me up for like the worst festivals ever. Would you would you imagine seeing my black ass selling doubles at a Chinese night market? Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. Wow. <laughs> that wow. was tough. That was tough. That was that was three days of standing there going <laughs> standing there. I could have spoken a little bit of Mandarin by the end. <laughs> but uh yeah so that those are the kind of tough times that i have to go through though i love it i'm a little better i'm a little better i love it i mean i i personally have seen the change in you um and and i think that you've definitely been better for it i mean whatever trials and tribulations the, the fact that you're so aware of it and aware of your shortcomings at the time and uh and wanting to just be you period whatever that means best you better you a different you it doesn't really matter but you're you're aware of it and and that's one of the biggest reasons why i respect you as a person and it's one of the reasons why we're going to move into this next topic um okay. so i don't know if before you, you go know, on chris no yeah, please you know please. i was just i didn't mean to interrupt you but what you're saying about growing and everything like that you know how devastating it is to find out as a growing human being that you're not fucking perfect Mm. right that you have all do yeah (laughs) you know there's all the like as growing up into be like become a human and i'm not and this happened in my 30s bro like we're not talking like you know me at like 22 going like it's time to pull up the stocks and figure it out it's like we're talking i'm in my 30s and then it hits me and i'd be like yo bro there's certain things about your personality that you need to check there's certain things about your attitude your outlook on this whole thing that needs to be put in check man like you aren't the best at what you do, you know, you aren't, you know, and you shouldn't act like you are and this and that. You need to humble yourself a little bit, you know, T- take a step back, learn from the ones who are and learn from the ones who are and are humble about, it. you know, like, and it was tough for me to like, because I, I went through a little bit of growing pains when I was like, why isn't my food as cool as X's downtown Toronto, right? Like, how come they're getting so much love? And then I just have to realize that maybe, you know, maybe that's just not the path I'm supposed to go down. Maybe my role is to have, you know, a nice little dining room with just a couple of people a day, you know, set a, set a, a specific amount of money I need to make a day and keep my um, my means within that. I just need one trip a year to, to Trinidad, just one a week. I can't go there for two weeks. So motherfucking hot. And, you know, I can only stand crazy Trinidadians for so long. But all I need is one week in Trinidad and the rest of it, I can work. I'm a worker bee, right? I don't need the glitz, the glamour. I don't need all the money. I just need to be comfortable, right? And I'm starting to fall into that now once I realize that I ain't paying shit, right? Once I realize that, um, you know, that I'm only here without getting morbid. I'm only here for the people around me and I can... You can leave like a legacy behind that people can look back and just be like, you know what? He was, he grew into the human being that we all should have. So 
become in our lives. And that's what I'm looking for now. Dude, as I age now, I'm less interested in making money, and but more interested in securing my retirement, right? You know, like that's how grown I've gotten now. I'm just kind of like, I don't want to be rich. I just don't want to be hanging out at Dufferin Galleria when I'm 70 years old, you know, <laughs> in the food court. You know, uh, they demolished it. So thank God that'll never happen. <laughs> but that was the vibe that I got when I walked through that mall. I was like, oh. But oh there's always God. another, yeah, there's always another gallery right around the corner, right? Yeah. And that's, like, that, that's the scary thing. You, know, you, 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 you don't have to look very far in order to see the things that you don't want to be. That marks the end of part number one. Tune in to part number two, where we discuss personal development projects, different ways of looking at injustices, and navigating a white person's world. Bye for now.